Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings and one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, June 8th, 2022, which means that, Aaron, you did catch the first episode of Ms. Marvel today, right? Yeah, I was really surprised when Darth Vader came storming out of nowhere. No, wait a minute. I'm sorry. That was Obi-Wan. Yes. No, I did get to see Ms. Marvel as well. That reminds me. I, I actually, that's the next thing I have to do. As soon as we finish recording here, this is four, right? Episode four of Yeah, Obi-Wan? but the, the thing is, I thought that Marvel, well, at least Disney, would have been a little bit more choosy about where things mm-hmm. got placed on their calendar. Because having a mm-hmm. beloved, coveted Star Wars show and mm-hmm. also a brand new Marvel show land on the same day, I thought was almost a mistake. Why not put one on Wednesdays and one on Fridays and spread your viewership across the calendar just a touch? But we can get into that later. I just thought it curious to have them both in the same day. All right, that works. But before we we get started talking about Ms. Marvel, which we'll do in the second half of today's show, uh, a few shows back, you mentioned you were headed out to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to do some pretty interesting recordings. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, see, we were going to do it on the last show, but I didn't have any sound ready. So I went and and dug up some of my audio that I got to record, and uh, we're going to play three bits of sound from the track for you this evening. The first sound that we have is from practice day. And uh, it, this is just neat because I got to hold the microphone within like four feet of an Indy car as it came racing up to its pit stop, come to a screeching halt, and then they uh, turned off the engine uh, again because it was practice day. So they were, weren't running the whole day. So uh, no crowd noise, just, you know, straight, pure from the tracks. So we'll take a quick, quick listen to that. And I, I thought that was just so neat to be that close to an indie car come screaming right up to you. Thank goodness for that little two foot wall to keep you safe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, okay. the next one we'll listen to real quick is uh, this will be our reference point. And uh, these are indie cars. Uh, going around the track during the race at top speed over 200 miles an hour at the Indianapolis 500. And now that you've heard that, Oof. yeah, I know you feel the speed like that. I got a breeze going across my face just from the sound of those cars whipping by. Um, and now, mm-hmm. so you can hear what I what I was really there to capture the whole time. This is going to be in five point one. Well, here in the show, it's it's only in, in mono. But if you want to go over to like my Twitter page, which takes you to my SoundCloud, you can actually download the five point one surround sound version of this. And uh, this is underneath the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, inside the tunnel, uh, under the track, as race cars go. Zip, 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 over your head and uh sometimes it's not necessarily the initial zoom that we get excited by Mm -hmm. it's the tail at the end the that long part that's the part that i snip off and and use as like an animal growl or something weird right it's it's using a a sound a unique sound in a an unexpected way so we'll take a listen to that
And yeah, you hear how that tail just stretches out, and it could be anything if you let your imagination run wild with it. That's definitely Ben Burtt. Yeah, yeah, it's, yes. it's, it's not your normal yeah. sound. I mean, you recognize it when you compare it to the indie cars we listened to before, but, but a little bit different, mm-hmm. and that long tail on the end as they fade away, how it echoes through that tunnel. It could be a monster in a cave. It could be any number of things if you let your imagination run wild. But on my Twitter, if you follow those to my SoundCloud page, you'll find the 5.1 surround sound mix of that last one. And the other two are in midside. And I'm going to give you a quick audio junkie version of what midside is. It's just a very specific recording technique using two different microphones and how they're placed. And then using some fancy math in post-production to uh, either make it mono, sit there right in the in the dead center of your mix, or make it incredibly super wide stereo. And I'm talking like super, super wide stereo. It's some fancy algebra, but a mid-side decoder is basically one knob. You put your audio in and you turn the knob either mono or super wide. And you can go from being there in the moment with super wide, that's super lifelike, to uh, narrowing it down to a, a mono mix, which is technical reasons why you'd want to do that. But uh, it's just a, a really neat recording technique that shows how math can manipulate audio in a very fancy way by doing a, a plus and a minus. And uh, yeah, so it's super cool. If you want to experiment, go download the audio, and now you have something to play with with mid-side recording and 5.1 surround sound. Cool, cool, cool. Thank you so much for sharing. Sorry it took two weeks to get to it, but uh, yeah. It's okay. It's okay. We've all been busy, especially the folks at Marvel Studio, and in fact, lots of Marvel-related news this week. And speaking of news, as always, the news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, Aaron and I are big Sam Raimi fans, and so I have a, a happy bit of news to share here. Just this past week... Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness has surpassed Spider-Man 3 as Sam Raimi's highest grossing film to date. As of June 7th, Multiverse of Madness has made $391 million at the domestic box office, uh, expected to blow past $400 million sometime in the coming week. That's roughly one and a half times the business that the original Doctor Strange did in North America back in October of 2016. Worldwide, the first Doctor Strange did $167 million. Multiverse of Madness now is sitting at $912 million worldwide, so roughly a third better than the uh, first Doctor Strange movie did at the worldwide box office. Now, mind you, this is just 33 days into the release of this Sam Raimi movie, and Sadly, though, we have to admit that Multiverse's big ticket sale days are behind it. I mean, we had Top Gun Maverick dropped like 10 days ago, and we have Jurassic World Dominion opening in theaters the day this show goes live. So now we have to look forward to the digital version of Multiverse of Madness becoming available on June 22nd, and then the Blu-ray July 26th. And... Chatting with folks at Marvel Studios, they've resigned themselves to, they really thought when they were making this thing, they'd have a billion dollar earner. But in order for that to happen, this movie had to open in China. You remember back on May 4th, you know, a decision got handed down from the Chinese office of propaganda that they weren't going to show this film in country. And that 
seems largely to be on the brief scene of the two moms. I mean, Marvel's not happy about it, but they are realistic. On the other hand, can we talk about what just happened with Sony and them putting Morbius back into theaters? A thousand thirty-seven theaters, to be exact. What did they make? About uh, seven fifty per theater. I mean, seven dollars and fifty cents per theater off of that. From what the numbers were, you're not that far off. This past weekend, they only made three hundred thousand dollars. And there were a number of stories about this is the first time a movie is actually bombed twice at the box office. And if you talk with the folks at Sony, this is a different age. It's not a question of, you know, we're going to put it back into theaters, so you have to spend all of this money to ship prints back to theaters. And it's like, no, it's, I mean, we live in the digital age. Somebody hits a button and this movie becomes available to show in 1,037 theaters. Also, they were staring down the barrel of the fact that Morbius actually goes on sale as a Blu-ray this coming Tuesday, June 14th. So it's like, this was our one shot to do it. And we were looking at all the, the, the memes and, you know, people talking oh God, about... Oh, they actually thought that people cared about the movie with all those stupid jokes? See, that's what you get, people. You play <laughs> stupid games, you win stupid prizes. That's your stupid prize. Morbius came back in the theaters. So help me God, if you make a sequel happen, you'll have consequences more than a second Morbius movie, my friends. I'll knock on every one of your doors. Like, mm -hmm. shame on you. I'll publicly shame you. Shame. There was some calculus to this consideration. It's like, well, we have this one window of time that we can put it back into theaters and maybe we'll make some more money. And it's like, oh, we did yeah. not. Whoever did that calculus failed their algebra classes. Probably sitting in the back of the class with me. Uh, speaking of ticket sales, Thor, Love and Thunder, the tickets for that Taika Waititi film go on sale this Monday, June 13th. And the way they announced that they put a brand new ad out and we got a lot more of Drax and Rocket and Nebula and the first trailer for Thor Love and Thunder debuted on May 23rd during the NBA Eastern Conference Finals. And earlier today, the OneRing.net reported that Disney had planned to release the first trailer for Black Panther Wakanda Forever uh, on the day the show goes live, Friday, June 10th. This would have been during Game 4 of the 2002 NBA Finals. The president of Disney Marketing, Asad Ayaz, actually jumped online to say, look, this info is inaccurate. As of right now, there is no time frame for when the trailer of Wakanda Forever is going to be released, whether online or in theaters. So the folks at One Ring had evidently heard it from somebody at, at ABC because they're, they're carrying the finals. It seems like it is the most closely guarded secret right now at Marvel. Like, I almost feel that John Krasinski as Mr. Fantastic was the red herring to make everyone go, look left, while we're still <laughs> trying not to acknowledge anything about Black Panther Wakanda forever until we get as close to the release date as humanly possible. In my conversations with folks, they're suggesting that one strategy that's being considered is, you know, if we really, really, really want a crazy opening weekend for Thor, wouldn't it make sense to, say, only make it available in theaters Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday, Tuesday, drop the trailer online? I, well, I don't know. I, I think you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, because your first problem 
is a very mm-hmm. fundamental problem. You've got a movie mm-hmm. titled Black Panther without the character mm-hmm. Black Panther. And as far as everything that Disney said, they're not going to digitally try and recreate T'Challa. Mm-hmm. They are mm-hmm. not going to recast him. So that means that the character's just not in the movie. So if the character is truly, really not in the movie, how the hell are you going to cut a trailer for a movie named after a character who never shows up? It's like James Bond 7, only James Bond never shows up. How do you cut that trailer and have it look good to anyone? That's a challenge. That's a needle to thread on the, uh, on the wings of an angel. That's infinitely tiny needle to thread. I had not thought of it from that point of view. Let me make a few more phone calls and see what I, I can find out. I'm not trying to be you know, pessimistic about what the movie is or isn't going to be. I'm just saying that the challenge that they have to face is they have to know that they're going to get slapped as soon as the trailer drops because it can't mm-hmm. please, you can't please everybody, right? But th- I think this is a case where you're not going to please anybody. And we all know the circumstances that you're under, but it's like, how, how do you make that not your primary issue? You know, I mean, your story's got to be so awesome that you forget mm-hmm. that Black Panther was even supposed to be in the movie. And I don't think the story's going to be that good. Not, I'm not mm. doubting it, but, you know, I mean, that's impossibly high Olympus-type mountains to climb. But again, I mean, each of these films has their own challenges. I mean, to double back to Guardians, we are more than 11 months in change now from when Guardians Volume 3 drops in theaters on May 5th, 2023. And James Gunn, who is a black belt when it comes to social media, has once again managed to move Volume 3 front of mind by revealing that Maria Bakalova who uh, folks might remember from Borat's subsequent movie film. She was the young lady who played Borat's daughter and actually got an Oscar nomination for that performance. She is in Volume 3, and they just revealed that this past week, and Gunn says that she's incredible in the part that she has in the film. And what part? Oh, we're not talking about that yet. So you wonder what his calendar has to look like? on just the way that they're rolling out information. And the, way, the reason I'm saying mm-hmm. this is because, look, uh, the film's been wrapped, right? They're done filming it? Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. well, it's not like this is a new development for James Gunn, like, oh, by the way, we just cast this girl and, and we're filming her mm-hmm. tomorrow. She's been in the can for a while. You know, she's wrapped mm-hmm. her filming maybe a month ago. So this is not new, new news to him. It's just new news to us, which means it's specifically played out on a specific date to keep the hype machine moving forward just a little bit, right? And it's like, I, we got 11 months to wait. But let's just talk about, you know, an actress who you, you saw in Borat is mm-hmm. in the movie, and everyone's like, what? Really? That girl? And then you talk about it for a couple weeks, and then I'm, a couple weeks from now, James Gunn is going to go, oh, and by the way, so-and-so has been added to the cast. And it's like, well, obviously they wrapped several months ago, but now we have a new tidbit to talk about for a couple weeks. So the way that they are doling out morsels you're right, black belt in, in the social medias. Because, I mean, you know, there are some directors who don't say Jack until the thing is released, and even then they won't say anything sometimes. It is definitely a different age, at least when it comes to the hype yeah. machine. And sometimes you can't control the story. I mean, for example, this past weekend... The Disney parks found themselves dealing with an issue where all the folks who had gotten into the park to who, you know, were going to Epcot deliberately to ride Cosmic Rewind 
were posting images of the fact that like, hey, they're not letting us go through the queue. They're sending us, they're backdooring us. We're, we're, we're going in the exit. And then evidently it was because it's very elaborate storytelling queue was having operational issues. And given that this is Disney also dealing with the fact that, you know, there's still a lot of people talking about how you step off of Cosmic Rewind and there's the cast member going, do, do you want the barf bag? Do you not want the barf bag? This is not how you want to start your summer with your brand new, very expensive, three minute long storytelling coaster. Oh no, I think it'd be rather funny if they had the collector there to collect your vomit bags as you left. You know, like well, one from oh. everyone. I collect them all. Thank you. Put these on display in my little cubes of glass. Oof. I don't even want to think about that. Uh, what I do uh, want to think about, though, is the, the Groot animated series. By the way, we finally have a debut date for that, August 10th of this year. A brand new series of shorts that will supposedly cover baby Groot's glory days growing up and getting in trouble among the stars. Groot has been a favorite among the MCU fans since the very first Guardians film was released to theaters back in July of 2014. This is when Kevin Feige was reportedly seriously considering walking away from Marvel Studios due to constant interference from Ike Perlmutter, the chairman and now former CEO of Marvel Entertainment. And supposedly the folks at Warner's heard about this and began back-channel conversations to the effect of, hi, would you like to come over to our studio and run the DC Comics movie division? You can read about this in Bob Iger's memoir, A Ride of a Lifetime. In May of 2015, Bob made Ike Perlmutter really, really mad by splitting off Marvel Studios from Marvel Entertainment, which meant that Ike was no longer the one who could call the shots. Feige then had a free hand and didn't have to worry about phone calls from Ike about there's too much food on the craft services table or I don't want to pay Robert Downey Jr. the money he's asking to appear in Captain America Civil War. You know, can you work around that? Or for that matter, you know, what you just discussed, Black Panther. Ike didn't want to make Black Panther. Ike didn't want to make Captain Marvel. They didn't fit his vision for what Marvel Studios should be doing. Oh, man, that, that is so horrible to hear that. I mean, it's like, well, of course you don't need any black representation. Of course you don't need any strong, empowered females. Who wants that nonsense? We need strong, white... You know, and then he starts rattling off, and I don't want to say Hitler, but... <laughs> There's a poster child involved, and they have blue eyes, and they have blonde hair, and they salute really, really well. And uh, no, we don't, we don't need that, don't want that, want to stay far away from that. Good thing he's not leading the way right now. On the other hand, right now, Kevin Feige is a very, very happy guy. MCU is a much bigger sandbox, thanks to the limited series on Disney+, and can try all sorts of styles and tones when it comes to storytelling. And in fact, we'll be touching on that when we talk about Ms. Marvel in a bit. But supposedly, uh, and this comes from uh, Justin uh, Kroll over at Deadline, the thing that most concerns Kevin Feige these days is who's going to direct the Fantastic Four reboot. And uh, Smart Money evidently is still on John Krasinski, but that said, there's a very large list of potential candidates. Look, at this point, we at least know who's not directing it, and that's Sean Levy, who is directing Deadpool 3. 
Did you see the interview earlier this week with uh, Rhett Reese and, and Paul Wernick, the gentleman who helped write the first two Deadpool movies, who have just come back to work on uh, Deadpool 3? No, what do they got going on? They were putting out word to the effect of, hey, Disney really isn't giving us guff about writing a Deadpool movie. The sort of raunchy, out-there humor that you saw in the first two, they're letting us do. In fact, early on, we had heard that Wendy Molno and Lizzie Milner-Loglin, two writers for Bob's Burgers, had been brought in to do the first pass of the script. And evidently, Rhett and Paul were, were brought in to do a rewrite. And they actually got asked, well, does this mean you're abandoning the story that Wendy and Lizzie worked on? And it's like, and Reese said, we have an answer, <laughs> but we're really not supposed to divulge any plot elements at this time. So all they can say is, look, Deadpool is going to be Deadpool. And Disney's okay with that. I don't know. If, if they say Disney's not pushing back on their script, I say they're not writing a good enough script. That's that's all that means. You haven't pushed the envelope far enough, boys. You need to take that shit all the way to the post office. Take that envelope all the way downtown. Further part of this interview, they talk about the fact that, look, look, we're writing it. And at some point in the future, I'm sure there will be a line that we will cross that Disney will go, no. Find that line. Make it your goal to find that line. Uh, you just start throwing out the expletives. Okay, so Deadpool and and stuff like that. You know, I'm sure that'll get their blood going. Figure it out. Well, we'll figure it out. So the not allowed to divulge details again. Your classic non-answer answer. And speaking of which, Haley Atwell sort of said the exact same thing at AwesomeCon this past weekend. She was asked about her Captain Britain character, which, of course, we saw in the Marvel What If animated series and then Multiverse of Badness. And people are like, are we going to see her again? And Ms. Atwell had to be vague. She said, well, look, I haven't got any news for you, but I share your enthusiasm. And I would love it if, if Marvel did find a home for her, a, a home that feels worthy of her in terms of her evolution as a character and development as a character. We've had Agent Carter on the MCU of Kansas since Captain America. That's now nearly 11 years now that Joe Johnson film debuted in theaters in July of 2011. But again, that's one of the first strong female characters we saw in the MCU. In a moment, we're going to talk about the MCU's newest strong female character who made a stellar debut in Ms. Marvel earlier today. So uh, let us talk about uh, Generation Y, the first episode of Ms. Marvel. What did we think, Aaron? I am glad that they are giving me time to know the character in a rather intimate home life sort of way before we jump into the superhero thing. And the reason is, uh, is that I am not Islamic. Uh, it's, it's new to me. And uh, so I'm appreciative at, at the glances of, of that lifestyle, but mm -hmm. because it's new to me, there that means there might be things that I don't quite understand right away. It's kind of like Yiddish. You know, if you're around Yiddish long enough, you start to pick things up and go, I get what you're going for. I don't know exactly what you mean, but you think I'm a putz <laughs> is what you're trying to say. And so um, I, I need to have some time to understand the characters and, and how their lives uh, work, how, how they're different from mine. 
so so I can understand, yeah, what what drives them, what motivates them. And I, you know, see the family dynamic of how they put all the parents put all of their hopes and dreams into their daughter. And, you know, we mm-hmm. may consider them to be strict, but it's just what a loving parent does. They're just watching out for their kid. Right. Um, so it's not necessarily new. It's it's familiar in that way, but it's got that that Islamic overlay of, you know, like to say the prayer before you start the car, you know, just say that one little, that one little word. I don't know what that word means. I don't know if it's God bless you or, or I'm sure it has some specific meaning, but I don't know what the meaning is. And so those are the things where it's like, they're, they're tipping me off to things I was not aware of before. And if they would have just went in and go, here's a girl with superpowers and then left me to try and understand Yiddish without any help, I would be lost and and Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to connect with the character. So, um, I think that the first episode has given me a, a, a really good chance to just connect with her on a, on a human level. And because I'm, I'm not familiar with her as a, as a person, as a superhero, as a character. And, uh, so yeah, I, I think that that time is warranted because it, there's not a lot of Islam heroes that uh, get the spotlight. So this is going to be new for a lot of people. And then for the people who are, uh, you know, Islamic and, and mm-hmm. have that as their cultural background, this will be like slipping into a nice warm bath. It's so comfortable and warm and pure in its sincerity that I think it, it will be a, a welcome delight for those that are comfortable with it and those that are new to it. I think you've nailed the thing about she's a Pakistani-American Muslim teenager, but she's also a girl growing up in Jersey City. Mm -hmm. And so between the scenes of her, you know, awkward in the high school, coupled with the, again, that whole thing of the scene with the guidance counselor where he starts saying the lyrics of Mulan's reflection back to her, you know, right. and her catching him doing it. That coupled with the, when she's talking, the drawings from her notebooks that spill all over the buildings as, right. you know, she and her best friend Bruno are riding their bikes home. Uh, there's so many smart choices. I mean, you, you get the authentic feel of the home life. And in fact, I, you know, I want to circle back on the episode just for the four and five minutes of animation at the, the the front where she was talking, you know, in fact, she puts together a podcast much more quickly than I do. Her wing sloth productions, you know, she was hammering that thing right out the yeah. door. But the lovely recap for those who weren't familiar with what happened at the end of Endgame with Captain Marvel or that she's been off planet for quite some time. I think they said did such a nice job of sketching out the world and the emotional dynamics. And when you've watched as many of these movies or read as many comic books as, as you and I have, when the box shows up from Grandma. Yeah, as soon as you see the bracelet, you're like, okay, well, here we go. There we go. Now, the question is, is the bracelet the only source of her power? Isn't Kamala going to get her own power? Or is she just now tethered to whether she's got the bracelet with her or not? See, now, this is what intrigues me, that there's a line that the mom says. I've seen what happens to people when they get obsessed with their fantasies. And the fact that she reacted the way she did when Kamala lifted the bracelet up, you know, well, what's this? And put it back in the box and take this in the attic and go hide it. There's clearly some history there. Sure. For all these moments of mother-daughter tension and lots of expectation, 
the fact that that moment in the bedroom to the effect of, okay, we've decided you can go to Avenger Con, but you have to go with your dad, and he's dressed up as, as the Hulk now. Right. And they're trying. They are legitimately trying to understand their their different daughter. Yeah, but I mean, you know, when she's talking about dressing all, you know, like a hoochie mama or something, mm. as Captain Marvel is like head to toe in leather. I mean, there's nothing provocative about it. There's no skin showing. I mean, you put gloves on and the only skin showing is from the neck up. And she even had a helmet. So really... The only skin showing was her nose and her lips and her chin. I'm like, that's pretty uptight, though. I mean, I, I felt for the girl there. It's just like, if she thinks that that is, you know, risque dressing, well, oh, my goodness. I get that. I do. No, a quick question. When when you mentioned, like, the uh, like the graffiti on the walls that was all animated, and I thought they did yep. a brilliant job with the texting. You know, there are so many times where they just do the bubbles and the dot, dot, dot while someone's texting yep. and it, the words pop up on the screen. But to have it show up in the neon signs, you know, and, and yes. to sh show it yes. in the crosswalks mm -hmm. and things like that, mm -hmm. I thought was a breath of fresh air for what could have been just a very tired old trope, very easily slapped out without it doesn't take any work to put that together. It's super mm -hmm. easy and it's very thoughtless. And they mm -hmm. went the extra step to do that. Now, the question is. When we get to the Marvels movie, mm -hmm. does that mm -hmm. carry over? Does that fit in the cinematic world when she's up with her her sisters in arms and they're in the middle of a battle? Can can that gag, that visual gag, still work in that form, or is it only restricted to her show? That's hard to say at this point. I mean, face it, given our two protagonists in this, Bruno and and, and Kamala, that speech on the rooftop, the, the whole thing, it's not really the brown girls from Jersey who saved the world. And I mean, I love where this is going. I love, I love, you know, uh, face it, on a TV budget, they managed to make AvengerCon have that sense of fun and crazy over-the-topness that you, you get at a Comic-Con, that you get at a WonderCon. It Still wasn't tens of thousands of people to sell that idea, right. but, but they they got it across. Yeah. And I got to give props to Bishake Ali. Uh, she is a British Pakistani stand-up comedian and screenwriter. She's the head writer and an executive producer on Ms. Marvel. And I, I, a lot of the script for the show was was filtered through her sensibility. And I, I think they did a really great job. I mean, and and also remember, you know, we were talking about. This version of Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan is a relatively new character, at least as far as the, the Marvel comic books are concerned. I mean, she, she first came on the scene in 2013. Mm. So th there's not a whole lot to draw from. And Adil Al-Murari and Bilda Falal, they directed the first two episodes of this thing. And a lot of the stuff you were just citing about handling the text and the animation and that sort of thing. That's what these guys rammed through and gave it a really distinct style, a really distinct taste. And by the way, what did you make of the mid credit scene? I don't think that showed us enough to qualify as, is that our antagonist? Maybe that's a branch of shield that's moving forward to do something. I don't know. Have we met those characters in the past? Do you recall? Yes, actually agent Cleary, who was played by Arian Moad, if you go back and take a look at Spider-Man No Way Home, 
these are the folks who took in Peter Parker and MJ and Ned. Mm. So we have seen them before. And so they're government so, cops. They're no big deal. If that's the biggest problem she's got, then I, no, I don't think they're the main problem. I, I think there's another mm. problem still lurking in the shadows, and they're just, uh, I don't want to say a red herring, but they're a different, they're plot line B. There's already people speculating that the long game here, and I guess it's the Department of Damage Control is is where these folks work, that long game further on down the line here is that this is the Young Avengers. These are the folks who would put that together. Oh, well, okay. Now that's all in a different light. Mm-hmm. Um, that's intriguing because that makes them not your your enemy, but that makes them your Nick Fury. Well, there we go. There we go. And in fact, in Spider-Man No Way Home, it's actually Agent Cleary. You know, when Tom Holland's, you know, Peter Parker is, well, Nick Fury can clear this up, get a hold of him. And he's like, well, he's been off planet for the better part of the last year. Right. By the way, Aaron and I were batting back and forth stories about uh, Iman Vellani, uh, who <laughs> really appears to be the real thing when it comes to the right person you want for a, a, a Marvel, to be in a Marvel movie. She was telling, evidently, stories on the red carpet that when she was a little kid, she would get $20 a month allowance. And what she would spend her money on was McDonald's and Marvel comic books. What was she debating on the red carpet about 616? Well, she was saying that she uh, tweets at Kevin Feige that this is not the 616 universe that we're in. This is the 1999-99 universe that we're in. And Kevin (laughs) says, no, it's 616. I say it's 616. It's 616. Stop it. And uh, then she'll tweet to him about, I don't like the what you did with uh, Black Bolt and Multiverse of Madness. He's my boy and you did him dirty. And, you know, I, I just imagine Feige just like, you know, Ted, pour me another cocktail if you wouldn't mind. I got a 16-year-old on my ass. I don't know. Why did we hire this girl? I mean, she's a good actress, but did anyone know about her tweeting at me all the time? Did we know this was going to happen? Uh... And she's not just going after Feige. She actually went after Tom Holland as well. She was talking about, I guess, she they were shooting in Atlanta, Ms. Marvel, at the, the same time they were doing the last little bits on No Way Home. And you know, so she was in the makeup trailer. And was like, so what are you working on? And Tom whips out his phone, and it's a photo of him on the set with Tobey Maguire. And she's like, you spoiled the movie for me. And she's like the little sister that's like, Mom, Tom showed me a dirty picture. Like, Tom, go to your room. Oh, God. Yeah. Darn it. Yeah. yeah so, you know, I think Feige's going to start doing a heavier check on people, you know, the youngsters before before he hires them. Let me see your phone there. Show me your Twitter account. What you got going on there? Yeah, scroll, scroll, scroll. Okay, okay. You're feisty, ain't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got the perfect group for, for you to meet, and we call them the Marvel PR team. Guest starring Iman Vellani. <laughs> Only on CBS. There we go. And then they'll teach you the rules your... of what to say on the red carpet, what you can't say. Yeah. Good luck with yep. that. So, really enjoyed uh, Generation Y, first episode of Ms. Marvel. Very much looking forward to where the next five episodes take us. And as you mentioned, Aaron, it's going to be interesting to see how Iman 
fits in with the Marvels, and that's next February, right? Yeah, then they got plenty of time to to get their ducks in a row on that. Everything will be fine. You know, even if you were to, you know, watch the series now over the course of several weeks, and then, you know, fans, because we're vocal, if fans were to start being overly vocal and start criticizing, valid complaints, not mm-hmm. not racist complaints, but valid, you know, real critiques that are, you know, have some merit to them, then Marvel might do some some course correcting in the character. And the, the only thing I can think of that might tee off fans is the way that they've altered the powers of the character. Yeah. And I, I, I'm almost thinking at some point we're going to lose the bracelet and give the power mm-hmm. directly to the person because I hate the idea of... Uh, and the greatest American hero is fine, you know, but it's the power is the suit, not the person. It's like, no, nah, give the power to the girl, not the bracelet. That's the way I want to see mm-hmm. that play out, is have her have all the power. Just want to point out there was a recent film called Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, you know, that kind of involved the thing that gave power. But, you know, I, I, I get what you're well, saying. Well, I mean, also, you know, why, why be derivative of a thing you've already done? Why have two characters that rely on a fancy glowing bracelet to make them powerful and, and all that, you know? And especially if we're talking about trying to empower young women, then empower the damn young women. Give them the power. I get that, but having just and the whole Thanos thing with the gauntlet and the jewels. And, you know, I mean, the, the, there is kind of a, a trope here. Oh, by the way, <laughs> there is. Uh, I, I need to issue a quick correction here. The Marvels and Ant-Man uh, and the Wasp Quantum Media actually swapped release dates. The Marvels is no longer coming out in February of 2023. It's coming out in July of 2023, where Ant-Man has gone into the old Marvels release date in February of next year. Before we wrap up, did, did you happen to mention uh, Jared Leto trolling everybody with the video? No, we did not. I, you know, in fact, that, that that was kind of the cherry on the Sunday of the whole Morbius situation this past yeah. weekend. But please describe to folks the video that's out there. Yeah, well, you got to give proper troll credit for this one because it's a shot of Jared as he's reading through a, a magnificent script. And um, I, I didn't even listen to it. I don't know if there was audio or not. I just watched the video and shook my head and turned it off. But anyway, the, the person goes to to Jared and, and what are you looking at? And he's kind of like waving them off. No, no, I can't show you because top secret film stuff, etc. And as he tries to hide the title page or the the uh, of the script, it says it it is revealed that it mm-hmm. he is reading a script for Morbius two subtitle. It's Morbin time. And my God, you know, that's what we were talking about. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. We don't need a second Morbius movie, so you got to cut the jokes, people. Otherwise, Sony will actually think. I mean, they, they went ahead and put the movie back in theaters thinking you wanted more of it, and they were wrong. They'll be wrong again, so stop with the jokes. Otherwise, you'll get a sequel you don't want. And on that note, you were mentioning early on about the wonderful bits of audio you shared at the top of the show, mm-hmm. and people can also get those access to those on your Twitter feed, right? Yeah, absolutely, over on Twitter, at AzaProd. Okay, and uh, speaking of Twitter, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Also want to remind you, then we have a couple of other podcasts here. We've got Disney-ish with Lentesta. We've got Fine Tuning, I Do with Drew Taylor. We're going to be recording a brand new episode of Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gahn shortly. 
Oh, and one final thing. This show, again, will be posted on June 9th, but the 11th and 12th, I'm going to be at Dayton Disney Anna, which is being held at the Hope Hotel and Richard C. Holbrook Conference Center in uh, Dayton, Ohio. This is going to be a fundraiser for a terrific program, Pirate Packs. This is a wonderful organization that benefits the kids of the West Carlton School District who are facing food insecurity-related issues. And every year I do this because, again, it benefits the kids. So uh, if you happen to be in the area and you want to come out, I would love to see you. I'm going to be doing two talks at this event, one about the Main Street Electric Parade, and the other one I'm going to be sitting down with Tom Nabby, the original Tom Sawyer for Disneyland, and he and I are going to talk about the history of Thomas Sawyer's Island at the Disney parks. And I guess that'll do it for now. So on behalf of Mr. Adams, thanks for listening. And we'll be back with a brand new MUD next week.